Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, near Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. AJ, it's my pleasure to have you back again for a sixth year as my partner. This is my seventh year on the gig, and every year we go through four preseason pods and uh, things change even right up to opening night we'll, we'll fix that with the first regular season pod but this is our best look at the central division today and uh, what do you think about the makeup of this group uh, they welcome back a canadian team but otherwise arizona shifts over i guess is the other bit of news yeah i mean gonna be a, a little bit different but not uh not too much uh with arizona coming over i mean really if i'm uh you know, not to give away our end of the show, Paul, but uh, if I'm one of the other teams in this division vying for a title, adding Arizona is not exactly uh, <laughs> a, a, a bad thing, if, if you will. So, um, but yeah, you know, another week closer to hockey. That's that's what I'm saying. That's for sure. And, you know, you imply that there's extra games played within the division. It's not as skewed as it was last year with teams playing each other exclusively. And I was a little bit surprised to, to see that. I thought they'd do a little bit more games in division, but it's only like four or five games against each club the way I, I saw it at first. And uh, they make sure that each club visits uh, everyone else in the league. So I think that part is, is good as a fan. You get to see all the players uh, come to your hometown and you get to see your team visit all the other cities in the league so it's pretty neat the way they got the situation set up and i wonder if we'll see tweaks down the road uh, any thoughts about that would you like to see more divisional play and and sacrifice um, some of this I, oh i'm so torn like yes more divisional play sounds uh intriguing you know when you just put it that way but I do like the fact that everybody plays everybody else, you know, and, and so you do get, you know, if you're, uh, every, every team gets at least a couple games against the bottom feeders in the league and, and those in their own way become important games, right? Because you need to, to beat, uh, those teams. Uh, I was maybe a little surprised when the schedule came out that we didn't have, uh, kind of those back to backs that, that they used last year. I thought those would kind of stick around. I, I thought those were helpful. And, you know, you play a team two nights in a row, it's obviously going to create uh, a little more bump in the in the second game, especially against those teams that you only maybe face, you know, once, uh, you know, one set of times a year. So um, I, I unless we're going to increase the schedule, I don't think we I would want more divisional games because i do like playing everybody now if they want to play 92 161 like baseball games a year i'm i'm all for that but <laughs> i'm not sure the uh, players association would sign off on something like that they might not aj but one thing that they are happy about is i guess i just recalled that uh, in the last few days the league's uh, second in command said suggested to the commissioner suggested bill daly did that the salary cap's going to go up one million dollars next year so that gives a, a tiny bit of extra wiggle room for teams managing their salary cap situations and uh, i i think it's a, a a note that maybe the revenues from the league are going to be rising again in the next little while and maybe we'll see an annual bump in the salary cap to give clubs a, a little more flexibility down the road i know it handcuffed the local club here that i cheer for and another couple of teams that were affected as well and that caused a lot of off-season moves this year uh, your thoughts on that 
Well, I mean, I think it's always good for it to, to increase a little bit. Uh, it's a sign of, of strength in the game, really, uh, that, that the revenues are able to go up. So uh, overall, it's, it's good to see, obviously, for teams that are hard up against the cap, you'd like it to go up a little bit more than just $1 million. Um, but any sort of growth, especially coming out of what we did, I think is a good thing for, for the sport all around. Very good. And uh, with that, we will get into our second of the four uh, preseason previews, focusing, as we said, on the Central Division, Arizona, Chicago, Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, and Winnipeg are the clubs we're going to be looking at today. And we remind you that we're going to be referencing the point totals from last year in a 56-game schedule and try to extrapolate with predictions on some of the players based on the full 82 that we expect them to play this season. So, Let's take a look at the Arizona Coyotes, the forward line combinations. AJ, why don't you lead us through that, and uh, I will uh, pick apart your comments. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Paul. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest kind of news for Arizona in terms of the forward complement is no more Connor Garland. We talked about that last week um, with with the trade away from uh, away from Arizona, and they got some pieces back, but they're not exactly – uh, pieces that are going to have a big significant impact. So the top of the lineup looks pretty similar to what we've seen in the past. Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, and Phil Kessel uh, holding down a, a top line. Uh, some younger guys in Larson Krauss, Barrett Hayden, and Christian Fisher on the second group. And it's not the most dynamic top six, if I'm being completely honest here. Um, some other new guys that they added, uh, Ryan Zingle, joins them. Uh, he'll be on the left side of the third line. Looks like Johan Larson, but Jay Beagle could also be in the mix for that spot as well. And Dimitri Jask- uh, Jaskin comes in uh, from from uh, the KHL, really a, a return to the NHL for him after you know a couple seasons away. Uh, he's back uh, with the Coyotes here. And then this is where we'll kind of see you know those buried contracts like the Antoine Roussel, the Louis Erickson, uh, even, you know, even Travis Boyd a little bit in here, these guys, even though Boyd wasn't part of that, that deal, but, um, you know, a couple of veteran guys that are just, honestly, it seems like just biding their time. Um, so I'm not really impressed if I'm, if I'm being totally honest with this forward group, obviously, you know, Phil and, and Keller, uh, and, and even I'll throw in Kristen Fisher. There's a couple spots when you're playing like DFS, you might want to pick up, um, but because of the weakness of this group, I don't know that I'm even sold on taking some of these guys, at least not early in, in season-long leagues, just because I'm not sure what their production can really be with kind of a weaker cast around them. Yeah, to your point, you know, Phil Kessel was the leading point-getter among the returnees here with 43 and 56 games, and he's another year older, and uh, that uh, heavy-duty off-season conditioning stint that he's known for uh, can only do so much, <laughs> I suppose. One more, one less hot dog, I guess, is in the plans this, this off-season. So he'll be the guy that kind of carries the mail and, and the name recognition in terms of the offensive pieces here, and I could see him right around the 60-point plateau again schmaltz is uh, going to be tasked with feeding him the puck he's not known as a first string center based on his career history and that's one of the problems here that you allude to they don't have that signature piece in the middle of the ice but schmaltz a placeholder right now logged, logged 32 points last year keller is another guy who should be among the scoring leaders on this club and probably will be the, the most hyped and sought after player in in uh, drafts that corresponds to an arizona uh 
residents uh, in this playing season. So uh, that's where the value is. You you imply that there's not much behind them. Look at the second line point totals. Lawson Krause, 13 points. Barrett Hayton, 3. Christian Fisher, 11. I mean, all three of them have been high draft picks recently, but none of them really materializing. New faces here that might factor in. Ryan Zingle had a couple of nice years in Ottawa and Florida. Now he finds himself in Arizona, and uh, he'll be tasked with pushing some of these guys in the top six for playing time. And Dimitri, Dimitri Jaskin comes back from the KHL where he uh, accounted for 60 points in 59 games played last year. And uh, he played in the NHL before that with St. Louis with some acclaim, but again, a depth forward there. And then it's Louis, er- Louis Erickson's contract was dumped here uh, in a in a fortuitous trade uh, for for his former employers to finally rid themselves of that deal. Jay Beagle also a big ticket on the fourth line and Andrew Ladd in the mix maybe if he can get a, a, around his injury woes uh, at this time it doesn't look good in that regard. So there's a whole bunch of question marks and to your point AJ a lot of underwhelming options up front save for Kessel and Keller in my opinion. Well, let's switch to the defense where maybe there's a little more room for optimism in our review here. Jacob Chikrin, I think, is emerging as one of the better young scoring defensemen in hockey. He had 41 last year, and that was with Oliver ekman Larson in the mix. Now it's his team to run, and the power play will run through him as well. And so I could see a bit of a spike in, in his numbers. Maybe he'll get to 50 points on the season if he continues to log a lot of ice time and be the power play linchpin here. He'll be pressed for that duty by Shane Gostisbehere, who's probably happy to get out of Philadelphia after his uh, fortunes turned south following a career season a couple of years ago. He slumped only 20 points last year, but he will be probably the second best offensive option in the back end. The rest of the guys, Connor Timmins, Ilya Lubushkin, Victor Soderstrom, and even Ben Hutton, none of them, and Antron Strauman I'll I'll throw in, none of those guys are really going to account for much in the way of offense from the back end from my point of view. Do you agree or disagree with that assessment? I don't see anything different here, Paul. I, I think it's all Chisholm at, at this point. And, and look, you, you know, you talked about the D group as maybe a source of optimism. <laughs> if I'm a Coyotes fan, my source of optimism is looking at the fact that after this season, there's, uh, you know, 12 million in cap space from just Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, and Jay Beagle on expiring contracts. I mean, honestly, among their forward group, only three guys have deals beyond this season. And you look at their 2022 draft list, you've got three first rounders. One of them's conditional and could move. And then five second round picks. Like this is where the optimism comes from this group. And I will tell you, it certainly doesn't come from the net mining tandem here. Uh, when you consider the fact that the guys entering the, the season as their one, two had a combined four wins last year. That's not a mistake. That wasn't a missed talk. Four <laughs> wins. Carter Hutton, one, ten and one. Joseph Corner, three, five and oh. Both had goals against average above three last season. Like it's it's not good back there. Um, and this is really just like a bide your time situation. I mean, they have uh, Dylan Genther, the the player they selected ninth overall uh, in the in last year's draft in the twenty twenty one draft. So he's somebody to maybe see about coming up in the future. They've got a couple of young goalies that they drafted that maybe could become something. But for the most part, 
Um, this is a lost season for Arizona, in, in my opinion. So uh, we can maybe pencil, pencil them in as a non-playoff team from J, from AJ's point of view. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that. Uh, I'm, I'm with you in, this, in terms of this tandem. For the longest time in this summer, they didn't have anybody signed up for next year. So they really reached into, deep into the bottom of the barrel to get these two guys. Carter Hutton, you mentioned, had a dreadful year in Buffalo and uh, lost his number one job. And uh, they had no interest in, in, in getting him back in. And Coronar is an interesting guy. He, he toiled in San Jose last year, and there was some disarray there as well. Uh, but he's a younger guy, and maybe they can pin some hopes on him. I would like to see them give him more of a share of the net this year. But really, to your point, uh, no big deal if they don't, because it's it's a season that uh, they, they might be wishing they could just secretly jump ahead to the following year and, and look forward to the draft, which could be the highlight of their season entirely. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are the second club we're going to look at, AJ, and there's plenty more reason for optimism here, in, uh, I think, in both our opinions. One of them centers around the potential return for Jonathan Taves. He missed the entire last year with a mysterious ailment uh, that impacted his physical, physical self on and off the ice, and not too many details really came out about the whole thing. Uh, I don't know if it was a chronic fatigue situation or a rare muscular disorder, but maybe you can shed some more light on that than I have, but uh, he is penciled in to come back, and, and if he does, I think he lines up on a second line here instead of taking the first line role, because I think Kirby Doc is a guy they're going to really pin their hopes on in that regard. He was drafted a couple of years ago and was injured part of last season as well, uh, com- uh, compiled only 10 points in a whole, only a handful of games. But he'll get the nod to start in the center of two very good scorers. One, their signature player up front, Patrick Kane, with 66. Alex DeBrincat, 56. Those are good points in an 82-game schedule. These guys did it in 56 games, so you can expect that they might be able to do more than those numbers this season, all things being equal. Taves is not going to be uh, slumming it in terms of the line mates that he gets either. Dominic Kublik is a capable scorer. He got 38 points last year. I could see him getting about 50. And Dylan Strom is a guy that I've been high on since they drafted him, partner. He was drafted, I think, in the top three or four of his draft year and as a center. And I wonder if there's uh, a twist of fate in the near future that puts him back in the middle of the ice. But for now, he's on the right wing on the second unit. And then beyond that, they have Tyler Johnson, who came over from Tampa when they were in their cap crunch in the offseason, they offloaded Johnson. I think that's a bit bit of a coup for Chicago. Uh, Henrik Borgstrom, a guy who played for Florida in the past, is back after a year in Finland. He got 21 points in the in the Finnish Elite League and 30 games played. Philip Kurishev will round out that unit. And the other guy that comes over from another team is Jujar Kyra. He was signed in the offseason out of Edmonton and probably saw his role diminishing there in hopes that he can rehab his reputation and challenge for a top nine role. We got him penciled in in the fourth line, and along with Brandon Hagel, they're two of the, two of the top guys that will threaten uh, for ice time if they can get their acts together this season. Yeah, what I like about this group is, you know, there's there's really kind of two options. They they have some flexibility here. You know, they can move Jonathan Taves back up to that top line where he's used to playing with Patrick Kane, and they can kind of go for a couple shifts, a couple series, you know, a couple games, whatever, with kind of all their eggs in one basket, if you will. Um, but then they can move Taves uh, into that second line center, flip him and Kirby Doc, and kind of spread things out a little bit. And Tyler Johnson, for his part, is is no slouch. And 
um, could set that up to be a pretty decent third scoring line, all, all things considered. So I actually really like the depth that Chicago has, has managed to put together here. Um, you know, it's, uh, adding Jonathan Taves, uh, effectively adding him after he missed all last season, uh, is, you know, a, a big get for them really. I mean, think about that. If any other team had added a player of his caliber, you, you'd be certainly talking about it. Um, in the off season. So I, I like what they've done to kind of tweak around the edges of, if you will, of, of their, you know, their top nine um, here and, and kind of try and find some things that work. There's a couple of guys that, you know, are right now, I would say on the outside looking in or bottom six, but they could put, uh, you know, put their name in the mix for a bigger role. And that's Adam Gaudet uh, at center and Alex Nylander. I think both those guys are somebody to watch. Um, and, and maybe see if they can play a bigger role heading into the the, uh, the season. They uh, did more heavily revamp the defensive pairs here. When you consider they brought in Seth Jones, uh, made a big move to first acquire uh, acquire him in a trade that uh, you know did see them give up Adam Bachwis and and some draft picks. I think there are certainly some questions about whether or not that was the right choice given Seth Jones significantly further along in his career than Bachquist. But the fact of the matter is he's here now and signed a big contract extension with them, an eight year, $76 million deal. So he's going to be here for a while and he'll man that top pairing alongside Calvin DeHaan Uh, for the second group. They also brought in Jake McCabe. He'll play with Connor Murphy. I think McCabe could be another player to kind of keep an eye on, you know, his numbers, have been, you know, middling at best. I don't think he's going to be like a huge producer, but this is a guy that's played in Buffalo for his entire career, and Buffalo hasn't been very good. I think if given the opportunity, he could maybe surpass his his 20 points that he put up in 16-17. That, that's the best mark of his career. I, I think he could go for 30, uh, 30 points with, you know, a, a better team around him. And then the final pairing here, Another new addition in Caleb Jones, uh, who was brought in as part of that Duncan Keith move. Uh, and and he'll, uh, uh, Wyatt Kalinick is the player that he's projected to play with. We'll see if Kalinick's ready to make, you know, really the big jump. He, get, he did get 21 games last year, but uh, now I think they're going to ask him to be kind of a full-time NHL player. So um, it's a very different-looking uh, defensive group than what we kind of got used to over the years here with Chicago, uh, especially with Duncan Keith not being around anymore. But they've replaced him with a, a very capable player in Seth Jones, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he's going to be the top uh, defenseman drafted out of uh, fantasy hockey pools. When they look at the Chicago club, he got 28 points last year in a in a year where he was troubled with uh, his time in, in his last year in Columbus. I think he's going to eclipse that very quickly this season, and he might even be able to double that total this season. That's what I'm forecasting. Jake McCabe looks to me, along with Connor Murphy, as the two other guys with an offensive capability on the back end. I'm curious to see how well McCabe does. I've got him penciled in somewhere between 30 and 35 points, and uh, ditto for Connor Murphy. So I do think there are some offensive options on the back end, AJ, to look forward to. Uh, I can't wait to see what you're expecting out of the goalie tandem here uh, with uh, your guy, Marc-Andre Fleury, suiting up. He looks good in the Chicago colors. I think it's one of the best jerseys in the league. And, and uh, 
Fleury comes in as the defending Vezina Trophy winning goalie in the NHL with a 26-10-1, and 10-0 mark, a 198 goals against average, sparkling numbers for the veteran NHL goalie. And I think he's going to find himself in a very good situation here, mentoring Kevin Lankinen, who's got to be thrilled to be working with Fleury. Lankinen himself uh, came in with a bit of a splash last year, uh, playing in a 36, 36 decisions, 17-14-5 was the record of 3.01 goals against. And he's going to be learning from one of the best uh, communicators in hockey in Fleury. I think he couldn't ask for a better partner. And I, I'm curious to see this goalie split in terms of games played. I could see it almost being a 47-35 kind of a split in favor of Fleury. And I wonder if how you feel about that and Fleury in the Chicago Colors this season. Well, I think Fleury looks terrible in any jersey that's not a Penguins jersey. But that's beside <laughs> the point, Paul. Um, I mean, look, we, we talked about this a little bit last week when, when we talked about Vegas, like the fact of the matter is this was the guy that was named or, you know, perceived as the best goalie in hockey last year, right? He wins the Vesna trophy, um, based on his numbers. And I think there's nobody in Chicago that would argue that net mining was the worst part of that team last year. You know, you've got three guys that all took parts of, of the season. Lankinen had the bulk of the workload, but he, he had the best save percentage at point nine oh nine. Um, also the best goals against average at 3.01. Like those, those were the best numbers that Chicago goalies could put up last year. And they're not good. So um, I think the fact that they went out, addressed you know really the number one need i think this team had um heading into the season it, it sets them up well you know you we've talked about this now you know jonathan taves being a huge you know ad for them quote unquote seth jones a big ad when you trade him out for duncan keith and then mark andre Fleury, like literally at all three spots they've added a, a really big name player um and i think it's going to make chicago you know a real contender here heading into the season. And I think it was a risky move when you consider the fact that, you know, flurry, as soon as it happened was like, ah, I'm not sure I'm going to play. Like, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, again, they didn't give up anything for it. So, you know, there is that factor there. Um, but to, you know, try and go out and get a guy. It's, it's a big swing. And I think something that uh, Chicago definitely needed. I'll lead us off into our next club here, Colorado. Um, Really, this is a team that did not make really any significant tweaks to the forward complement here, uh, or really the D complement. We'll get into that a little bit, but uh, the top line is the top line here, and that's Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rantanen. I mean, I guess if you want to talk about like their big move, quote unquote, it's the fact that they re-signed Landeskog to an eight-year deal worth fifty-six million dollars uh you know to lock up a 28 year old on an eight-year deal is probably going to be you know maybe the rest of his career maybe not if he you know goes long here but um so they've got that top line locked in and, and ready to go uh and really there's no reason why I mess with a good thing so i certainly understand why that was a big priority for them heading in to the the off season here the second line is again a, a group that we're used to seeing jt Comfer. Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky. Burakovsky led that group with 44 points. I think it was, you know, really maybe one of the first times that we've seen him 
kind of show what he can do. Um, I guess, you know, the last two years in Colorado, um, he's hit that 44, 45 mark. Uh, and, and I think that's indicative of the more responsibilities he's getting since leaving Washington. Hasn't had a chance to play a full season with Colorado. Both of his years cut short. So I think with 82 games, you know, barring injury, looking at maybe a 60-point guy here. And that's, uh, that's no slouch for a second line. Third line, again, more guys, Alex Newhook, Tyson Yost, Valeri Nanushkin, all names that we're familiar with. I guess you could add, you know, Darren Helm as their, their kind of one tweak here. But at this point in his career, uh, you know, Darren Helm's not exactly a big ad. They're probably not bringing him in to be a 20, 30 point guy like he was in his early days in Detroit. So really, uh, if you want to talk about tinkering around the edges, this is a team that I think most defines that. Yeah, I think they were pretty well set in terms of the top six. Some may argue that they should have sought for an upgrade over JT Comfort, or only, only accounted for 18 points. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Nazem Kadri, AJ. This is, he's coming off a third playoff season where he was suspended. And he's got to show this club that he's going to play for them and uh, not lose his mind uh, again this season. He's got to really stick his nose to the grindstone and stay put. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of eyes watching him. You mentioned the top line. What are the point expectations for a guy like McKinnon? I think he could be top three at worst in the NHL in scoring. That's how good a player I think he is. And he's in contention for the Hart Trophy as well as the Art Ross as we start. We look forward to dropping the puck. Miko Rantanen, one of Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog could even threaten the top ten as well and my money would be on Rantanen in that regard based on the fact he actually outscored McKinnon last season that gives me reason to kind of lean in his direction in that regard but Gabriel Landeskog would not be a bad option to pick up in the upper or mid rounds if he falls that far I don't think he should he's a quality player the captain of this team and uh part of this top line which might be the best one in hockey outside of well i'll say they're probably gonna be better than the boston line this year which is getting a little long in the tooth we'll get to them in a couple of weeks so i think question mark is on comfort and cadre on the second line i like your comment on burakowski but he's going to need his, his mates to do their part to get to that 60 point plateau that you project i don't think it's outlandish at all and the rest of the guys very much placeholders nachushkin had 21 points last year i've been waiting on this guy to explode but i think the the fuse has expired there uh, he's going to toil as a third or fourth liner the rest of the way uh, he, i think he's run out of chances as a first line or second line player the defense pairings aj what say you about this group well i think you've got three really key big uh point producers here that that we've seen Again, it's it's all the same guys that we're used to seeing. Devin Taves and Kale McCarr in the, the top group. Um, both of them will get power play opportunities. Both of them will have oper- uh, chances to, to rack up points. And Samuel Garrard, for his part, no slouch either. 32 points for him last year. I don't think it's outrageous to expect McCarr to also be a guy that pushes for 60 and for Taves and, and uh Garrard to each be in the mix for, you know, upper 40s, maybe even 50. Um, I think the big question mark here is what you're going to get out of Eric Johnson. Uh, the fact that, you know, he played just four games last year, uh, really was, uh, has been dealing with some health issues of his own. And can he get back to being kind of that shutdown guy that can pair up with Samuel Garrard? Uh, I like that pairing if it's possible. I don't, I don't know if it is. Owen Byram, another player that could offer, you know, 
uh, fantasy upside, depending on, uh, you know, what sort of role he gets. He, you know, he's only 20 years old and he's coming into a crowded group full of young guys that know how to compete. Uh, Ryan Murray will likely pair up with him. Curtis McDermott is or Jack and Jack Johnson are both names that could challenge maybe some of the, you know, a, a Bowen Byron to be a more like veteran presence. Although I don't think uh, either of them is going to offer any sort of fantasy impact. So for me, it's all about uh, McCarr, Taves and Gerard. but it's, it's, you know, from a abs fan standpoint, it's uh, pretty awesome to see three really top end like D scores uh, lining up on that blue line. Yeah. I wonder even in most drafts, if Mikhail McCarr might be the first defenseman that comes off the draft boards in season long play, he's that good a player and could threaten 60 plus points easily behind uh, the offense that they have. And that can trot out a, a wicked power play as well. But you mentioned there's no slouches in uh, the depth chart here. Devin Taves, 31 points last year, Samuel Gerard, 32, both capable of getting over 40, as you suggested in an 82-game schedule, so uh, there's reason to look at more than just the top guy in terms of name recognition in Makar. The goalie tandem is one that I'm intrigued by because Pavel Francouz was injured all of last season. They got Jonas Johansson from Buffalo in midseason. His record was 5-6-2, but they're pinning their hopes on Darcy Kemper to come over after posting a 10-11-3 mark and a 256 goals against average in a pretty tough situation in his last stop over in Arizona. He's going to have a much better team in front of him, and I think if he can stay healthy, he'll be one of the most important goalies uh, in, in fantasy hockey this season, and I could see him playing up upwards of 50 games at least and if he does that with the numbers that I project he'll be among the top goalies in hockey and uh, he'll be a reason why Colorado's still one of the top teams in this loop well yeah I mean a lot of it is you know going to come down to Darcy Kemper because without you know if Darcy Kemper struggles or you know has a has a down year like this is basically going to turn into Edmonton South right (laughs) like ton of star players at the top of the lineup on both sides of the ice, uh, but no goaltending. I really am very surprised as again, as we said last week that they allowed Philip Grubauer to leave. Obviously the cap is a consideration, but they brought in Darcy Kemper. So there's three and a half million. They've got 2.3 still available and they could have, you know, gone without, I mean, let's be honest. They could have gone without signing Ryan Murray. That's $2 million there. Um, you know, Curtis McDermott would save uh, a little over a million there. So it's, it's not like they didn't have the cap space to bring, uh, to bring back Rubauer based on the deal he signed with Seattle. And so I, I really don't understand why they let that happen and, and get that far. I mean, I don't know, maybe Grubauer, maybe there's something we don't know. And Grubauer didn't really want to come back. And so he was, uh, you know, only going to come back if he could get even more money from Colorado, but why you wouldn't want to play with this team, I, I won't really understand. So um, I don't know whose fault it is that that happened, but you know, from my money, Darcy Kemper is a drop uh, is a, you know, drop down the, the level from, uh, from Philip Grubauer and where they were last year. 
All right, let's move over to the Dallas Stars, AJ. And again, you talk about a team that didn't really do much tinkering on the forward lines. This is one team that uh, fits that bill as well. But they need to be healthier. They had a lot of struggles with health among this group. Uh, foremost among them, Tyler Sagan and Alexander Radiloff. They're going to still be back and hopefully to start the season. And you can expect much bigger numbers out of them than the 2-15, and 15, 12 that they got, respectively. They're each going to be 60-plus, I would suggest. Maybe Sagan even hits the 70 point mark if he turns in to the skilled player that he was before he was hurt much of last season Jamie Ben will round out that unit a familiar trio but they have been lapped I think by a couple of younger guys in Jason Robertson and Rupe Hintz who will will flank Joe Pavelski who I know is one of your favorites AJ to form what I think is a de facto first line here and all three of these guys should be around the 60 point mark as well going forward so it's a pretty nice six pack at the top of the roster and they even have some insurance in terms of quality behind them and Dennis Guriata Radic Faxon and Yoel Kivaranta, all three guys capable of moving up if they're needed. I'm particularly excited about Gorianov. I think this is a guy who should would be a top six winger on most other teams, but there are a lot of good options here ahead of him in Dallas. They brought in Michael Raffle, who's been a top six guy earlier in his career, but he's fallen off that pace. And Luke Lindenning is a veteran guy, probably a good penalty killer type that they have there. And Blake Como rounds out the 12th pack up front, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't really see much else to add there, Paul. I, I agree. Health is the key. Um, and, you know, really, le- like, let's be honest, and their own management has called them out for it. Like, Ben and Sagan, when healthy, still need to be better. Um, and so that that's a big factor as well. But, you know, step one, being on the ice, right? <laughs> um, defensively, they added a pretty significant piece in, in Ryan Sitter. Uh, comes over from Minnesota after having, you know, his contract bought out. And, and that's a massive buyout. I mean, you're talking about buying out four years remaining of his contract. Uh, you know, so he'll, he'll get paid a, a little bit of money from them over the next eight years. And look, we'll, we'll talk about this more, but the, the fact there's one team that's hoping to God, the cap continues to go up <laughs> because they're going to have a cap hit of, million next year for Sutter and it goes up to 7.3 in the two years after that like that's a lot of cap hit for a guy that's not on the team fortunately for the organization financially there's not a lot of dollars in terms of of their contract and I'm getting a little into the weeds here but uh, all that to say I think Ryan Sutter uh, was a pretty good ad you know I was a little surprised on the term here when you consider they gave him four more years uh, on his deal when he, you know, he's already 36 years of age, but I think he could be a fantastic uh, guy to pair up with Miro Heiskanen. I, I really think he's gotten to a point in his career where his offensive numbers aren't maybe where they used to be. You know, you talk about last season had just 19 points in, in 56 games. That's his lowest point total since his rookie season in 2005, 2006. Um, so obviously there's, you know, a little bit of concern there. The number is significantly dropped off when you look at power play, but I think he could maybe fall into like the quarterback of that second group. Although John Klingberg will certainly have something to say about that as well. And Klingberg will be back with Essa Lindell on the second pairing. And it looks like probably Andre Sakara with Yanni Hakapa as the third pairing, although Andreas Borgman could factor in there as well offensively you know Heiskanen had a, a bad year I think it's hard to argue anything other than that 
when you consider just, you know, just 27 points. Um, he played in 55 games, so it's not like he saw a significant drop off um, in, in production, but you expect more out of the guy that's supposed to be the top player for you, especially when you just gave him an eight year, $67.6 million contract. Like they're clearly expecting him to step up this year. And I think Ryan Sitter can help him do that. AJ, I like all of you said, but I think I have a big question mark around Ryan Sutter, who has been a player that I've really admired through much of his career. I think he's definitely on the back uh, nine and maybe late in that round, too. You suggested 19 points in a full slate of games last season, despite the fact he's still a big minute eater. The production simply wasn't there. I don't think he's going to get the opportunities that you might suggest on the power play. I think it's going to be Heiskanen and Klingberg that hang, handle that role almost exclusively. They'll go with uh, forward in, in the mix on each of those units. I think, to compliment these two defensemen. In an emergency, sure, Sutter gets the nod, but he showed me that he was in decline last season, and I don't think a change of address is going to change that for me. He's number three clearly on the depth chart here, and uh, I wouldn't overrate him in, in upcoming drafts. Look at the goalie situation here, AJ, and I'm a little bit baffled as to why they went ahead and they signed Braden Holtby to a two-year contract when they already had Jake Ottinger and Anton Kudobin in the mix. Ottinger put up pretty pretty nice numbers, 11-8 and 7 for a 236 goals against average. Kudobin, a career backup who has played more than most backups, was in on 30 decisions, 12-11 and 7 with a two. 54 goals against average those are pretty good low low numbers in the GAA Holtby comes over after toiling in Vancouver with a 7 11 and 3 mark and a 367 goals against average his game picked up later in the season but he had a dreadful start and I think he's clearly number three going forward and I'm not really sure why they brought him in uh they could have gone a lot cheaper in my in my opinion they also have Ben Bishop who on the roster still but he's got an injured knee and a very uncertain future I think there's red flags all over that guy. I don't know he's going to be in the mix at all going forward. Uh, what say you about the Dallas net minding? Yeah, it is certainly a, a question mark there that they would uh, bring in. Uh, you know, I, I was definitely surprised to see them bring in Hopi. Um, I, I thought they had, you know, kind of the, the tandem that they wanted there. Um, it does say a lot about what they think regarding Ben Bishop's availability, as, as you alluded to there, Paul. Um, you know, is, is he going to be able to play at all this year? When is he going to be able to? So, um, I, I think the biggest thing for me is that by signing Hopi, it just raised a lot of questions that, uh, have yet to be answered and, and will be hopefully, uh, during training camp here. But it, it was a strange decision in my opinion. I, I definitely agree with you there, Paul. All right, partner, we're at the halfway point in our look at the Central Division. Let's take a break and we'll be back with our preview of the final four Central Division teams right here on Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we're back. You're listening to the podcast with Statsman and AJ. AJ Scholl's riding shotgun with me, Paul Bruno, your Statsman. And uh, let's go into the Minnesota Wild Club, AJ. Why don't you lead us into the forward ranks here as you see them? Yeah, absolutely. So with, uh, with Minnesota, you know, the, the big changes for them came on the back end, uh, really, and in the defensive side of the puck. Uh, you've got uh, right now, it looks like, uh, forward combinations that are going to be pretty much the same sort of if all things get worked out you've got jordan greenway joel uh joel erickson Eck, and marcus Bellino making up that second group we're currently still projecting Kirill kaprasov to be the second left wing but that contract situation has yet to resolve itself so certainly something to continue to watch there uh him with victor rask and matt Zuccarella. Looks like Matthew Boldy, uh, Ryan Hartman, and Kevin Fiala as the third pairing here. I do like the addition of Freddie uh, Gaudreau. Uh, I thought he had a real good season with, with Pittsburgh last year. Comes in, and he'll play with Nick Bukestad and Nico Sturm on what will be uh, you know, potentially a pretty difficult line to fourth line to play against that. You know, the thing I like about that group most is that's a line that could actually play. Like A lot of times I see fourth lines, and I kind of look at it and go, all right, these guys are going to be out there for five minutes a night just to give everybody else a little bit of rest. Like that, that fourth line could actually see some minutes. Um, and I would equate them somewhat similar to, to the Islanders here and, and what uh, they have going on in their fourth line. I, you know, I, 
not going to jump too early and say uh, that they'll be, you know, the, the guys of that level, but they have that potential, I think, especially Bukesad, who's pretty big dude and, and can play with some physicality. So look, the question is getting Kaprasov signed. I mean, that, that is number mission. Number one, uh, I got to admit, I'm not really sure what the hangup is. Seems like you give him the money that he wants. I know, you know, cap considerations have to be there. Um, but yeah, that, that guy needs to get signed sooner rather than later. You know, we already know he's going to miss the start of camp just because of the, the time frame of, of signing the contract and getting things squared away. But, um, it, it needs to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. And they've got lots of cap space to get it done. They got over $12 million according to our friends at cap friendly. So lots of room to get it done, but I want to spend a minute, you know, you talked about the incumbents, Felino, Zuccarello, Kaprizov and Greenway on the surface. That's pretty, four pretty good wingers, but Greenway only had six goals last year, AJ. And a guy like Matthew Boldy is very intriguing for me. I'm going to call him my sleeper pick here on the Minnesota roster. He's a guy that's got good size. He played in the U S college ranks. I was waiting for you to drop, to drop the U S college information on our listeners because that's kind of been your bailiwick but I'll pick up the slack here and say that he was better than a point per game guy in the U.S. programs that he was with last season and I think he's a guy that could really uh, challenge for a spot on the left wing and will be a guy they'll count on if Kaprizov winds up holding out for any length of time in the meantime he's no worse than a, than a third on the depth chart there so uh, well positioned to uh, to move up from that rank I also keep an eye on Kevin Fiala third line right wing is where he's penciled in Marcus Foligno is listed as first line despite only 26 points I think you almost flip those guys at some point maybe early in the season if they want to get more offense out of the top six that would be the move that I would make I, I like I've been a fan like you of Nick Bustad for a while that's pretty good insurance along with Gaudreau on the fourth line so some pretty good depth on the Minnesota forward lines I'll say from top to bottom Uh, in terms of the defense pairings this is what the team has been known for in the past they kind of took a bit of a hit uh, with losing one of their top four guys uh, in all the offseason moves this season but they still have some guys that are considerable uh, in terms of interest in terms of what they might do offensively going forward I think there's four guys you can point to and they are Jonas Brodeen, Matt Dumba, Alex Skeligowski and Jared Spurgeon all in the low to mid 20s last year in point totals but I think they could all in a full season I can make a case for all these guys hitting about 40 45 uh, depending on who gets the power play time right now to me it looks like Dumba and Spurgeon get those roles going forward but Goligoski and Brodine have had their chances as well in that regard so I'd rank Dumba one Spurgeon two Goligoski three and Brodine four in terms of the the offensive capabilities from the back end beyond that it's defensive minded types like Jordy Ben and John Merrill and Dmitry Kulikov rounding out the mix Uh, a lot of quality on the back end I'll say here in Minnesota yeah, absolutely. And and the only thing I'll add before moving on to the goalies is uh, I did forget, or we both forgot to mention uh, the departure of Zach Parisi, who is also bought out uh, at the same time as Sutter. He's, he's going to be with the Islanders now, uh, change for him. But uh, yeah, another player that's going to cost them uh, significant cap space over the next couple of years um, without even being on the club. In the Nets, it, it'll be uh, the same duel that we saw last year feel like we haven't said that much with this uh division that it's been all different guys somebody new somebody coming in but in minnesota we've got the same team of, of cam talbot and uh capo kakinen 
And I would expect them to continue to share the net. Now, maybe uh, Kakonen can take control of it this year and, and play himself into more opportunities. But, you know, you look at it last season, Talbot had 33 uh, starts. Kakonen had 23 uh, and, and Talbot, you know, kind of outplayed him a little bit, not significantly. I mean, we're talking nine one five save percentage versus nine oh two, uh, two point six three versus two point eight eight, and the goals against average. So, I mean, there's there's stuff that obviously you would want Cochran to improve in his game, and I think he can. So, I would not be surprised to see a relatively even, you know, borderline fifty fifty split here. Yeah, I agree with you. They'd like to see growth in Kakanen's game. He uh, he was in contention for the Rookie of the Year, but he lost it to a teammate, <laughs> which is unusual in the NHL. Uh, nice situation for Minnesota to have. But Campbell, uh, Cam Talbot is signed for this year and next at a higher ticket, so they're counting on him to be the mentor for a while. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good situation here. A veteran and a young guy who's shown, both of them showing good numbers last year, and I see no reason to expect differently. And I, I like you look for uh, almost an, a 50-50 split here maybe giving Kakanen a chance to get a few more starts on the season in total just to see if he can develop his game and be among the better goalies in the league uh, at the year end in uh, next up is the Nashville Predators the forward lines uh, they the top six again looking very familiar uh, Philip Forsberg Ryan Johansson Eli Tolvanen that top unit Michael Granlin Matt Duchesne and Luke Coonan uh, on the second line look the troubles here began with the big contracts that they that the two centermen signed they have neither one has lived up to it I mean look at the point totals 22 for Johansson and 13 for Duchesne Duchesne was even moved to the wing with uh, late in the season last year and that's where he enjoyed most of his success uh, most of the 13 points he achieved so some question marks down the middle of the ice certainly but some quality on the wings I'm particularly fond of Forsberg and Granlin on the left side more than Tolvanen and Kunin on the right there's room for improvement in both of those guys none uh, none of the guys on the left side or uh, should be the two left guys on the left side should be guys that hit the 50 plus point mark yeah I don't think I can say the same for any of the other forwards in this mix and certainly the depth chart doesn't help them much I, I think there's hope for Cody Glass to take a step he was a top prospect in junior but hasn't lived up to that billing and uh, struggled with uh, trying to make the grade in in his first stop in Vegas and maybe he gets more of a chance in Nashville that could be a sleeper pick in this circumstance, but beyond that, it's a lot of holdovers uh, in the wings. Yakov Trenin, Colton Sissons, Matthew Oliver, and Rocco Grimaldi. None of these guys will threaten for top six minutes. So for me, it's uh, Cody Glass uh, pushing for more of a role. And maybe Philip Tomasino, who had 32 points in 29 AHL games, also maybe pushing a guy like Tolvanen or, or even Kunin. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really not a ton to add there, Paul. I mean, uh, I agree with the players that you outlined that could take on, on bigger roles. Uh, Tomasino is one that I've, I've kept an eye on for a while, obviously with Nashville's affiliate being here in Wisconsin. So um, he, he's definitely a player that I'm, I'm familiar with and keep an eye on. And I, I think part of that is the fact that, you know, that right wing is, is kind of open – uh, for, for somebody to take a hold of it. I mean, Luke Coonan is, you know, traditionally or, or naturally more of a center. Um, Eli Tolvanen, uh, you know, could move to the left as well as the right. So I, I think there's spots where, 
they could get Tomasino into more opportunities uh, depending on what they need. Defensively, uh, a, a few changes here, uh, to say the least. It'll be Roman Yossi with Philippi Myers as the, as the top pairing. Uh, he joins as part of uh, you know the Nolan Patrick, Ryan Ellis trade that did include Cody Glass as these clubs kind of, uh, you know, Philadelphia and Nashville and Vegas kind of jumbled together of, of what they can do. I, I think Philippi Myers is a young prospect that has some offensive upside. He hasn't really gotten a chance to show it at the NHL level yet. And I think this is a, a opportunity for him to do that. You've got Matthias Ekholm and Alexander Carrier as the second pairing carrier. Another guy that I think could be, um, in the mix for more opportunities. He's, you know, he's only played like 24 games at this point at, at the NHL level. So I think more chances, more opportunities, he could step into a bigger role. And then Mark Borowicki and Dante Fabro to line, round out the pairings here. I like this group, maybe not as much as, you know, <laughs> as you would have in the past when you've got Roman Yossi in there. But um, I, I do think this is a, a solid group and I don't think, It'll be a huge drop-off. I think Nashville will still be known um, for their their defenders here. Yeah, no question. And I can see Yossi climbing back above the 50-point mark to be the, the big guy uh, in terms of points on the back end. Should be one of the top defensemen picked still. Philip Myers, a veteran guy to compliment him, not known for offense, but might be a good defensive insulation for him. And one of the best contracts in the league still in terms of the value that he gives is Matthias Ekholm, a big minute eater on the back end, and possibly the number two guy in terms of power play minutes in this whole group. I think he will easily top the 23 points that he collected last season. Uh, Dante Fabro is a guy, I used to be high on this guy as an offensively skilled player, but only getting 12 points and one goal last season, uh, that ship has sailed for me. So it's Ekholm and Yossi and maybe Carrier is the third guy that I think you can look at for some offense. If, if uh, Carrier and Ekholm develop a, a kinship, I think that could be a very effective second pairing. Which takes us now to the goalie tandem, AJ. You see Saros, uh, the incumbent, 21-11-1. He'll be the lead dog now, uh, Pekka Rinne retiring. Uh, the goals against average for Saros in those 43 deci- 33 decisions was 228. That's going to be tough to repeat, but he's got a pretty solid defensive compliment in front of him and the way they play this game. He'll be backed by David Riddich, who, big save Dave, moves on to Nashville after a short stint in Toronto. 5-8-2 was the record overall with his two clubs, Toronto and Calgary, last season. A 286 uh, goals against average. I think uh, they're going to be counting on Saros to really play a lot of the games here, AJ. Could be around 55 games, maybe 27 left for Riddich. I see almost a 2-1 to ratio here going forward. Uh, do you agree or disagree kind of with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. That, that, that was my takeaway as well, that, that UC Saros would be allowed to really step in uh, and be the guy, right? You know, so um, I, I, I agree. I think he could be up there as one of the top, maybe uh, top players in, in the league. Um, in terms of games played and, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens and, and what's left over for Dave Riddich. But yeah, it'll absolutely be the, the UC Saros show uh, in Nashville. In St. Louis, uh, there's still some um, unsettledness, if you will, around their top player. And that's a question mark that continues to linger over them. But for now, we've got to look at it the way that it's uh, set. And that's Zach Sanford, Ryan O'Reilly, and Vladimir Tarasenko 
as that top group. Tarasenko obviously has dealt with these continuing shoulder injuries, was exposed in the expansion draft, and has reportedly uh, expressed interest in not uh, staying around in St. Louis. You know, it sounds like he basically feels like they mishandled um, all the all the shoulder issues that he's had. So it's a big question mark, and I think it's a little bit telling that they uh, we found out last week that they're going to bring in. James Neal and Michael Froelich on professional tryouts. I think both of those guys, if there's a spot available, I'm not saying they'll replace the, you know, the level of offense that Tarasenko can, can give you, but I do think uh, it, it is a little bit telling that they've got these guys coming in to play a role. In addition to that, they brought in uh, two guys really to reshape that, that second line. And that's Brandon Saad on the left, Pavel Buchnevich on the right, and then Braden Shen, will continue to anchor that group. I, I like that line a lot. I mean, Saad, for his part, 24 points last year. Bruce Navis had 48. Um, and, and I think they really give this club a, a very good top six, again, with Tarasenko in the mix there. From there, you know, some of the, the younger guys that we've seen for a while around here and a combination of veterans, again, guys that have been around for a while, though, basically – I think are interchangeable this third and fourth line. Uh, Quim Closen, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, David Perron, Oscar Sunquist, Ivan Barbashev, all kind of uh, similar pieces in a lot of ways, you know, and, and I think could be shuffled around in terms of who goes where. You know what? This is, I think, the third team in our first two previews, AJ, that features a big ticket guy who's got a lot of question marks around him. Tarasenko signed for the next couple of seasons. Let's be clear about that. This is a cold out that, that basically he's putting a gun to the team's head that move me. I don't want to be here. And that's quite a statement to say at training camp. That's got to be not something of a distraction that the team really didn't want to get to. But he's such an important player to their overall structure if, if his head is on straight. And if it's not, it's going to be a huge anvil for this team as long as he's there with that attitude. So a real big question mark and one that people who are looking at the draft should really consider shying away from him, uh, at least in the early rounds. Maybe take a flyer if things get sorted out between now and, and whenever your drafts come up. But boy, oh boy, I turned si- a sideways glance at a guy like Tarasenko, just like I did with Evander Kane uh, in our first preview show. Uh, that said, Ryan O'Reilly is going to be tasked with carrying the mail on the top line. One of the better playmakers in hockey uh, has become more of a scorer, goal scorer in the last couple of years. So his profile uh, is in place. He's got another year on, on the calendar, uh, as we all do, uh, a year later. But uh, he, he seems like he's ready to do what he always does, and that's the plug-and-play kind of uh, effort with him. Zach Sanford, fortunate to play on his wing. I think he's a guy that could be a sleeper that – sees a big spike in his scoring totals. He only got 16 points last year. I could see him uh, doing more than double that as long as he holds on to a top six role. A couple of guys that will threaten that are on the second unit flanking Braden Shen, who is penciled in as the number two center here. And that's Pavel Buknevich on the right side and Brandon Saad on the left side. If they, they stay together with that group, that's going to be a formidable second unit in, in St. Louis. And uh, a guy who could move up... Uh, 
if one of those guys gets hurt or Tarasenko is gone, could be Robert Thomas. Right now, he's penciled in as the middle guy, the centerman on the third unit. And Jordan Cairo, a guy who had 35 points last year, is another guy who can move up and down in the roster. They also have David Perron, uh, who had 58 points to lead this squad. And uh, the wonder is probably it's his job to lose if Tarasenko is out of the picture. He'll move into the top position on the right wing so they have lots of uh things to think about in the uh, in the run-up to the opening night and uh signing ve- veteran tyler bozak another insurance move as well in addition to the uh, the ptos that you mentioned aj so a wealth of options it's just a matter of how it's going to shake out and we'll have more to say about the st louis club probably uh on the first show of our regular season when they do sort out the positions that are all up for grabs right now Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, defense, I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll lead us in, Paul. I uh, thought thought miscommunication there. Thought you were going to take us into the D, but I'll I'll uh, I'll grab it. Uh, so you've got Tori Krug and Justin Falk as as the top pair here. Marco Scandella, Colton Pareko as the number two. Nico Mikola and Robert Bertuzzo as the third. Couple other guys that maybe could get uh, a taste here. Callie Rosen. Uh, Steve Santini. But for me, the biggest question here is who's going to be the guy that steps into Vince Dunn's spot after he was claimed uh, in the expansion draft. You're talking about the guy that had the third most points among defensemen for them last year, uh, actually was second on the team in power play points. So that's another big factor. And I, you know, I'm not sure looking at this, you know, I, I don't think it's Pareko necessarily, um, maybe one of the younger guys like, like Mikola, um, or, you know, maybe Jake Wallman. Um, there, there are some guys that maybe have shown a little bit of some, but right now to me, I think this defensive group is worse, uh, to be blunt about it. They've still got two top guys in Tory Krug and Justin Falk who can produce, um, but they're missing that, that third one. And so for me, it's a little bit weaker group. Uh, Paul, I don't know if you see it differently at all. I do actually a, a, agree with you, AJ. They spend a lot of money on the top three guys on the back end. The, they're all at $6.5 million, and uh, all of them are at least in the middle of their careers. When you look at the age of Falk at 29, Krug at 30, and Pareko at 28, Pareko signed for $6.5 million after compiling only 12 points in the thir- 33 games that he played last season. The guy's got all the tools. And so maybe they're paying, expecting for the offense to kick in more than it has, but it hasn't to date for this guy. And he's been something a bit of a, a quandary for me throughout his career because he hasn't put together that 50 to 60 point season that I had forecast for him much earlier than this offseason. So uh, some question marks on the back end. Of course, they chose Falk over Pietrangelo, and we all know how that worked out. Uh, you know, Pietrangelo went on to to fit in very nicely in, in Las Vegas. And Falk uh, kind of was coming off a bad season in his first go-round with St. Louis. So there's been some Spocky and eyes focused on him. Krug, coming over from Boston, had a nice profile, but he's been injury-prone too. So there's question marks there in terms of the big-ticket guys that they've got on the roster. Scandella, Bertuzzo, and Santini, these guys are all veterans, but more noted for defensive side of the puck. So they're going to count on the trio that they spent big money on to deliver the goods and... Uh, the jury's out for me in terms of which one of these guys will step up. I suppose if I had to bet on a guy 
guy right now, it'd be Tory Krug. Krug, if he stays healthy, he could get 50 points, but that's a big if right now. So in what, terms, go, what, go, ahead with, go ahead with the goalies, AJ. Let us know. Sounds good, Paul. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll take that, that group. It's, uh, you know, it's nothing new here. So <laughs> we'll, we can touch on it rather quickly. It's Jordan Bennington and Billy Huso. Uh, you know, this, this has been the group that uh, Bennington obviously has been there a little bit longer uh, in terms of at the NHL level. Um, but this is the group that they went with last year and, and should continue to um, for for a little while here, I, I think the big thing for them is Bennington needs to be better. I, I don't think there's any question there when you look at you know first uh, first real season came in late in the season, 24 wins in 32 games, 1.89 goals against average. I don't think anybody was expecting him to maintain that across uh, across. Uh, the rest of his career. I thought his numbers in, in 1920 were decent, uh, 30 wins, 13 losses, 2.56. I, I think that's where they would have wanted him to be. And really the bigger problem with last season was the win loss column, which of course you can't entirely put on the netminder. Um, but you know, 18 wins uh, in 42 games is, is not good enough. And we did see the goals against average creep up and the save percentage creep down there. So uh, I want him to be better, but overall, I think uh, he should still see the bulk of the workload with Billy Huso as as kind of the secondary uh, guy there. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Bennington was involved in 40 of the 56 uh, decisions. That probably translates into about close to 60 decisions this year. Uh, that's the kind of workload that I think he should expect. And he'll be hard-pressed to keep the goals against down because of the question marks that I raised and you raised on the defense. Uh, so there are some question marks around his expectation. He should still be one of the top six or seven goalies picked in my estimation still that good and particularly when you're looking ahead to the olympics he's on the short list to be one of the goalies in that mix so his his pedigree is there he's shown it very early in his career and i expect a bit of a bounce back from the overall numbers if it's just a question of his head and talent coming to the fore together as they did in in years prior Final team that we're going to look at is the only Canadian content in this group, and that's the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, they didn't really do much to alter their mix and up front. Uh, the injury note uh, of note is Brian Little has a head injury that caused him to miss all of last season. There's still no timetable for him to return. And Riley Nash is the only significant upgrade offensively, but even he will have be hard-pressed to crack the top nine. And here's how that shapes up. A familiar look in the top two pairings, that the top two lines that uh, will not be upset uh, at all uh, in training camp. This is how it's going to go down opening night. Kyle Connor uh, and Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler on the top unit. Each of these guys, uh, signature players for this club, and I think each of them should top the 60-point mark. Shifley, for my money, should be better than a point-per-game player here, and maybe Wheeler even threatens, threatens that plateau as well. This unit is that good. They're one of the best forward lines in hockey. Behind them, they have the very exciting Nikolai Ehlers, who is uh, a coin flip with Connor to play on that top line, and you keep an eye on that uh, every night that they play. You'll, you'll do that by looking at the rotowire depth charts that AJ and company take a good look at every day for us. And uh, But he's got no slouch in Paul Stastny, one of the better playmaking centers in the last several years as his center, and Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is hopeful of trying to fit in better than he did last year. Uh, we pencil him in on the right side, but I think you could see those guys flip-flopping at center. Maybe they even go three deep and let 
Pierre-Luc Dubois Centre, a third unit. And the, th- uh, the choices from the third group are including Christian Veselainen, Adam Lowry, and Jansen Harkins. Of course, they lost Mason Appleton in that mix, so it remains to be seen how that really shakes out. But uh, let's, let's uh, let AJ talk about the forward lines and see what he thinks about that group. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is exactly what we saw last year, and I still don't like it, of having Paul Stassi and Pierre-Luc Dubois on the same line. Like, these are centers. Put them at center. Like, I would I would almost rather they move as much as it would, you know, as much as it hasn't always worked to break up Shifley and Wheeler. Like, I'd almost rather move Shifley to the wing on one of these lines and keep Pierre-Luc Dubois and Paul Stastny as the, the one-two centers. I, I just don't like either one of these guys playing wing. Hopefully, though, if they go into the season with that expectation, they, you know, maybe it kind of changes everything. The, the problem for them is they don't really have anybody that can step up, right? Like, this is a top, top six heavy group. Um, Adam Lowry, you know, 24 points last year, very good player. Um, but he's again, he's not a winger, so he's not really, in my opinion, an option. They need a Veselainen, a Harkins, a, a Dominic Tonato, one of these guys to step up and be able to move into one of those roles. Because uh, I just don't, I, I just hate honestly seeing mm-hmm. Dubois and Stastny playing out of position. It, it didn't work uh, after that trade, and, and I don't expect it to work heading into this season either. Defensively, uh, some shuffling around here. They they got Brendan Dillon, who comes in uh, on a on a trade uh, for some second round picks to play potentially in the top pairing with Neil Pionk. I think that's a great signing for them to get somebody that can stabilize that, and it'll allow them to break up Morrissey and Pionk so that Morrissey can uh, maybe jump up into the play a little bit more get back to being a 30-point producer that he was in the two prior seasons. And then they also added uh, Nate Schmidt. Again, another guy who can come in and, and be a factor here, had some really good years in Winnipeg, or I'm sorry, uh, in Van- uh, Vegas, rather, right. that he was a 30-point guy. And again, it'll be kind of a question. You know, I think the only certainty is that Neil Pionk is going to quarterback the number one power play unit. That would be the only thing I would say for sure here. Um, You know, obviously Morrissey has done it, um, but I do think Nate Schmidt could be in contention for that as well. And then from there, you know, there's any number of guys that could fill in. I think in third pairing, Dylan DeMello's maybe the one. Uh, mainstay and then there's you know Logan Stanley, Billy Hanola, Sammy Niku, like any one of those guys could kind of come in and be uh, in that third pairing there but I, I like the additions you know they've we've talked about Winnipeg's defense being a question mark the last couple of years did they bring in a, another stud star power player certainly not um, but I do think Schmidt and Brendan Dillon were quality additions to this back line. Yeah, I like the way you finished that off because for a couple of years now we've been talking disparagingly about the defensive depth in, in Winnipeg, but they've got a, done a nice job reshaping it. I think they've got a very credible power play quarterback in Neil Pionk who registered 30, 32 points last year. I think he'd get, get up to 50 in a full season of 82 games if he's healthy. And Josh Morrissey is probably plan B in that regard. And Nate Schmidt might be C, but... For me, I'd, I'd consider Logan Stanley and take a flyer on him. 
he's he's got tremendous size and skill and uh, he only got four points last year in in a depth role but if he can find uh, a way to get more minutes in high leverage situations i wonder what he would deliver so i'm keeping a bit of a an opening in some of my leagues late in the season long drafts to see if i can snag him and and maybe be rewarded for that kind of a sleeper pick which takes us down to the goalie tandem here, AJ, and uh, it's Connor Hellebuck going to carry the mail. And if you and I had to bet on which goalie was going to play the most games in an NHL season this season among the goalies, I think he'd be at the top of both of our lists. He got 44 decisions last year. The goals against was 258. He's been a workhorse every year of his career, and he's backed up by Eric Comrie, who's been a backup every year in his career. Comrie only had one decision last year uh, in his record. One game, a three goals against average so not much to tell there other than he's been around in the backup roles for years but it's Connor Hellebuck or bust isn't it here oh absolutely and to your point Paul if there's any player and it'll never happen let me be clear about that it's never going to happen but if there's one player who could challenge for uh, Marty Brodeur's 78 games played in a season it's absolutely Connor Hellebuck. Like he's the one guy that I think is crazy enough to try and do it. Like I don't even think Andre Vasilevsky would go that far, although he figures to be in the top. Um, but you know, we're never going to see that again in today's NHL where a guy plays. You know, and there's so many seasons Marty Baron played over 70 games. Like it's just ridiculous, and, and we'll never see that again. But Connor Hellebuck. We'll see the bulk of the starts, and it really makes whoever's the number two like kind of irrelevant. You'll see him a handful of times. Uh, it, it'll probably be Eric Comrie, although I think uh, Mikael Burden could uh, make a run at it during training camp. But, yeah, it's, it's hell your buck or bust for them as it has been for a number of seasons. All right, partner, it's time to put your, your predictions on the table for this division, the Central Division. What do you see top to bottom, pal? Well, look, you know, for me, the biggest thing is I I look at a team, I kind of see what they did the year before, and did they do anything to get better, or have they lost pieces and gotten worse? And when we were going through the show, I I think the one team that addressed boom, 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 some of their biggest needs is the Chicago Blackhawks, Uh, and I really like their forward depth. Um, you know, maybe they could be a little deeper in terms of, of the blue liners, but they have Seth Jones, they have, uh, you know, some up and coming youngsters too, that can factor in. And then they have the best goalie in hockey, no argument there, um, from anybody I'm sure. So for me, the Chicago Blackhawks are, are the team that I'm going to pick to win this division. I, I know that's saying a lot for where they've been the last couple of years, but um, they, they've really improved and addressed uh, a lot of their needs. And for me, Colorado then comes in as number two. Uh, they have uh, the all-stars at the top that will keep them in this thing. But at the end of the day, uh, they got worse, I think, is, is what I will say with, with the goaltending situation. I've got Winnipeg slotted in at three, uh, again, on the heels of, of the net mining. And they've got some talent up top. Uh, Minnesota comes in at number four for me. I don't know. Uh, if you know that, uh, if you had asked me a couple weeks ago, just off the cuff, if I would have landed there, I don't think I would have, but I do like their, their blue line. And all of that is contingent on Kirill Kaprasov being back. Cause if he's not, this team is not going to make the playoffs, which is where I have them penciled in. I've bet on Dallas too many times to be high on them with this group of guys. Injuries just seem to always plague them. 
The goaltending situation is a huge question mark for me. St. Louis, same thing. There's so many question marks around their best player on the team. Is Tarasenko going to stay around? How do they replace Dunn? The, you know, can Jordan Bennington again? Question, question, question. And then I think Nashville and Arizona are just logical choices to round out the bottom of this group. It's going to be tough for Nashville to do anything against the talent pool that's here. And Arizona continues to be a dumpster fire that somehow has to rebuild every couple of years despite having no success. Usually you do good, you struggle with cap and other things, and then you have to rebuild. Arizona seems to have to rebuild every four or five years without actually doing anything. Well, partner, looking at our list, there's a couple of differences. Nothing as, as significant as the one that we covered in our Pacific Outlook. But at the top of this division, I've got to go with Colorado. The, the, the Avalanche was the top team. And they won the President's Trophy last year. And I think they're being in contention again for it this year. The key, of course, is can Darcy Kemper hold up his end of the bargain? I'm voting yes. And I think he's going to be one of the busiest and most productive goalies in the hockey. I know you don't hold that same opinion. And that's the reason why you have... Colorado second. I'm going to go with Dallas in second place. They managed to be a middle-of-the-pack team in their division last year with the absence of most of their first line for most of the year. I'm expecting healthier outcomes for for uh, a couple of guys on their forward line. Sagan particularly, uh, if he's healthy, that's a signature player for this team. And uh, I think they'll have enough. And uh, they got experience in the nets. I don't know uh, who's going to take the reins but out of the three, but I think they've got good options there. they got nice depth on defense, and uh, they got a lot of young forwards too. So I like that team a lot. I think they're going to put it all together and challenge Colorado for the top spot, but I think they'll finish second. I, like you, am high on Chicago as well for all the reasons that you suggested they've addressed everything uh, something at each of the main positions and so that means they have an upward tick for me and I'm putting them in third place a playoff spot and I think Winnipeg's going to hold off St. Louis for uh, a second wild card in this conference I think so highly of Connor Hellebuck they've got a six-pack up front that is the rival of any team in the league I think and they've got uh, an emerging defense that uh, is no longer a black hole that we just covered off so all that put together makes me think that they're also in line for playoff spot the team that takes the biggest drop from last year is the St. Louis Blues. The question marks begin with the issue with Tarasenko and uh, the aging blue line. Uh, they're not over the hill by any means, but I think there's more of a concern than, than there was in the past for me, and that's central to why I think they're going to be on the outside looking in. Minnesota, also a team that's on the outside looking in. I just don't think there's enough there there uh, at some of the positions that are of, of importance. And uh, Nashville and Arizona, I've got them bringing up the rear uh, as you do i think arizona could be in contention for the worst team in the nhl this season so aj that's the way we see it pretty uh, interesting that we're we have a lot of similarity but some interesting food for thought during the course of the season when we look back at this and see how we're measuring up against one another there's enough differences to keep that interesting any final thoughts for you on uh, this division no i, th- I think this is um this is definitely going to be a tighter division than uh, the Pacific that we, you know, previously covered. Uh, I think there's a lot of teams that, you know, a couple things go this way, that way could move up or down uh, in this group. So I, I don't think it's quite as stark as, as what we saw when we went through the Pacific. Well, I know you've got to be excited because the next division that's up is the Metropolitan Group, and that's going to be where you get to wax poetic about your favorite club and uh, some of their arch rivals. And uh, so we'll wrap up this look around the the uh, 
Central Division. Uh, you're listening to Podcast with Statsman and AJ. It's Rotowire's signature fantasy hockey podcast. And uh, we will remind you, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to Podcast to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 